You're listening to the Ambition Podcast. I'm Ellen Buchan, Insights and Communications Executive at AMBA and BGA. Today I'm here with Rune Sunda, who is a co-founder of Fantastic Services. When Rune realised that the cleaning industry was not a modernised one, he set out with his business partner to revolutionise the sector. I talked to Rune about how he started his company and how he managed to expand it using the franchise model. Rune also gives a very personal account of what it was like leading an organisation through the turbulent times of the pandemic. Finally, I had to ask Rune about his views that shark diving and business have a lot of similarities. Here's that conversation. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Could you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your career so far? I'm Rune Sondal. I'm the co-founder of Fantastic Services, um, a company that finds uh, the best tradespeople and train them. Uh, we do this as a franchise. My career has been uh, a very mixed bag of everything. I started out as a chef um, in my early days before going to university, but I've also been marketing manager of one of the UK's uh, consumer brand um, in travel. So I've had a very mixed career before founding Fantastic Services 12 years ago. For those who don't know, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about what Fantastic Services does and a little bit more about the story about how it came about? I'll start with how it came about because it kind of explains what we're doing. Um, about it's it's twelve thirteen years ago now. I were in 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 lastminute.com marketing manager. Um, back then, you know, we were we were uh, living in rental accommodation. I needed to get my uh, deposit back from uh, from a damage I'd done to a carpet. And I looked online and, uh, you know, this stage we're used to booking hotels, flights, and I thought everything online. And I'd never thought about services before. And I looked and tried to find a carpet cleaner to come and do the job. And I realized I called five companies, two of them picked up the phone, the rest didn't reply to the email. And I was like, I'm not used to talking and calling people. I'm used to just pressing the button and book the flight or the, or the hotel. So that was my initial phase of something is is here and by asking that question to friends like where did you book a company oh do you know what i have this friend um anton and he's running a, a company he's he's started it up and it's 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 a startup and they're, they're they're starting to grow this company and i got introduced to anton my business partner and i think within two weeks of looking into the business of looking at helping a little bit the website in the beginning we just jumped on and that was the foundation for what Fantastic Services is. It's a platform, but it's also a business that delivers the service. Um, the number one thing was that it's not a bidding site where you get three bits. It's not a site where you're booking the, uh, just booking a carpet cleaner. It's a site where you actually get the service. And that was the core of what we are, is the easiest way to book and get any service um, there is for your home. That's amazing. and. As someone who hates speaking to people on the phone to book appointments, I love that idea of being able to just go onto the internet and do it because that's what you expect nowadays. 
I mean, it, it, it was harder than I thought. It took 12 years to get it right. And, and, and uh -huh. the, th the thing was like, I'm, I'm looking at this stuff here. I, I, I can order a taxi at that start. I think just Uber had just started. Airbnb had just started. Uh, it was very early days in, 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 in the on-demand economy. And I'm like, how come I can't tell whether a carpet cleaner is going to be there at, at 12 or at 2 or a plumber is going to be there? Um, it was harder than I thought. And it, it, it cost us uh, quite a lot of investment to go into it and build it but that was really my only goal and it proved to be the right thing because the customers loved it the customers started buying more services from us the customers started investing in in in, in said like oh can you also do removals can you also do xyz and we always answered yes and then we found a way of doing it so the company just kind of grew based around the customer demand and and this model of like let's solve the hard part of delivering a service once was the booking but also we created this as a franchise and we can maybe talk about that a little bit more but we created that in order to get better quality you've absolutely read my mind my next question was going to be about the franchise model um so fantastic services was said to be the seventh best franchise according to franchise direct um can you tell me a little bit more about how you've leveraged this model well, which is which is an incredible honor because we're talking about franchises like McDonald's and Wendy's and Burger King and Domino's and everything else up on that list, and being number seven in the whole whole of it is is incredible. Um, I was not a fan of the franchise model because I didn't understand it, and and it was it was like you know I come from the background of doing startups, and we're we're so told like oh you've got to own X Y Z of the business, and then you realize that if you're raising funding, you actually own less of the business than you do if you own a franchise. Like let's say you've raised millions in the in the funding, and then you know you you you're diluted in your percentage, and then the second raise. Um, so that's one of the one of the big sort of blinding things that comes up in front of you and go like well, hold on well we're told this but why are we told this but franchising to me was about supporting local businesses and and once we got into that understanding of it and understanding what matters in the franchise i looked at at least 50 different models where i went through this is a prospectus this is how you're buying this is what they do this is what they offer i read reviews on what do they do in the long term how is a franchise going to be supporting of a business and looking at that i saw that there is something in between the old traditional franchise and a more modern world of it. And one of the things that franchises do so well is that they can be extremely good at centralizing some of the costs and really saving you money on software development, on uh, building certain processes, on all the mistakes we do. And that's why I became a fan of it because here I got a chance of creating not one big business, but one big business, but lots of little really solid good businesses it's fantastic services set up like the franchise of like mcdonald's etc or is it more unique how is it different well we've got three levels of it i mean it's like every single franchise is different and, and there's a franchise for everyone We've got three different models. One is a working franchise, which is very simple. I'm doing the job. Uh, I get paid for, for so and so forth. Um, the other one is the manning franchise where you get better at recruiting. And then there's the area franchise where it's, it's where you are selling the franchises and helping up bringing up that structure up. So every single one of them is unique. 
the the difference is and, and this is one of the things like we started in the service industry um Antonomy bootstrap fantastic services which is an incredible feature in its own right you know after 12 years never having raised money or got funding uh, by any means and still growing the company um it's an incredible feature and, and this is one of the things i like about the service industry you can get in to the service industry without much initial investment and that's one of the things that i find very uh, very fascinating but that also allows us to help others get from almost zero or very minor um, levels into the seven figure um, uh, seven figure levels yeah and seven figure businesses and you've taken the franchise international where 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 are you well we started we started with uh, australia we're in the us and then we're also in um, in, in in ireland now we've been hungary and so we're opening at the moment we're we're selling quite fast so it's 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 the last days of where we will have available areas but it's uh, very um, it's very fast selling amazing sounds like you've been so successful but has there been any notable bumps in their road? Of course there has been. I mean, you know, doing a business is uh, not easy and doing a business is not uh, anything there is. I'd say that if you come in with a business idea and and think that it's going to be plain sailing, then you're, you're going to go very wrong. Um, you know, the understanding of, of going from one stage to the other uh, is hard. So it's short to, to make the answer a little bit shorter. We've had plenty of ups and downs. I mean, remember, we started in 2008, 2009. And at that stage, you know, the world was collapsing. At that stage, the world was collapsing on a on a credit crunch. Uh, it was a recession like no other. Um, there was no funding. There was businesses had gone. Uh, everything was disappearing. So, um, you know, it was just mayhem. And we didn't know whether there was going to be businesses. We had to lower prices. We had to uh, do everything in our means to make it work. And there was no credit. Back then, we couldn't get leasing on a car. Can you imagine? Uh, those things were not available. So that was the first crisis. Then there was numerous others. And there was times when we thought we were going to turn the key over and say, like, we're not going to be able to pay. And then, you know, 2020, you know, I think I think everybody can talk a lot about 2020. But uh, it, it was a hard year for everyone. I mean, we managed to pull through it, but we managed to come out on, a, on, on the other side better than before. So, um, yeah, it was very... Um, very interesting years again skipping ahead a little bit of me my next question was about the pandemic and I just wanted to know how you managed to continue to achieve success during the pandemic and what it was like being a leader of an organization during this turbulent time I think and and I remember the day very clearly. There's some real pivot points because I, I I've thought a lot about why we did, and we ended up doing better than we did before the pandemic. We actually ended up with 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 more profits and more um, connection to the things. So the number one thing was that when it happened, we were sort of aware of it from Italy. We we're sort of aware of it from uh, somewhere else. Um, we were aware from China what was going to go on with lockdown and we said like this might happen here then we looked at stats from Italy what was the first service that went down but the number one was a psychological reset and it was like you know we were 11 years into our company and you know our chance of losing every single thing was there you know we didn't know what was going to be open what wasn't going to be open uh, we didn't know what was um, what was available what wasn't available we didn't know what could happen so we just had to take it one day at the time. 
And the number one thing psychologically was this very simple thing was, how do we reset ourselves? And I called Anton and, and I can't remember whether it was Anton calling me or me calling Anton. It was very simple. Um, it was down to the point of where we said, welcome to day one again. So mentally resetting that and going like, this is how I restart. Then the second thing was, you know, that once we've reset ourselves, it's like, look, I'm ready to lose everything. I'm just where I am when I started. So I'm ready to lose everything. That gives you a refreshed mind because you don't have to then worry about your past. You don't have to worry about what was done before. You can't, you know, nobody can go back in the past and worry about anything. So very quickly, you are able to just deal with what comes on. Then comes the second part of it is like, the realization of your responsibility towards employees. Like, how do we keep as many employees as possible? How do we make uh, people uh, safe? Uh, we didn't know what was going to happen with furlough. I mean, you, 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 we were all there. Like, are we going to get some furlough? Are we going to get some government funding? Are we going to get some support? Are we going to get something? You know, turned out we got nothing and that certain things were completely eliminated from the lists and so forth. And then we said, like, like instead of waiting for that, what do we do in the meantime? Because, you know, none of us were uh, aware that the government were going to try and put as much money as they have put into it, trying to alleviate these uh, these bumps in the road uh, and, and so forth. So we just went ahead and said, like, how can we reskill? We know that this, per this service is going down. Domestic cleaning was one of them. I understand it with contacts going into people's homes were shut down. So what we saw was a huge increase in, in, in removals and gardening and handymen and building home gyms. The, the thing was that at the same time, right, remember we had to take a call center with some 300 people out of the office in one day and told, you know, evacuate the spaces, work from home. Um, we managed to make it work. It took 12 hours in total. That just shows how good our software system was and how good our continuity planning was because we've been lucky that we had a couple of power failures where it meant, okay, well, we practiced it. So this comes down to being prepared. So at the same time, we learned how to do more communication via video, via audio, via talking to each other rather than the physical stuff. Because also we didn't know how long is it going to last. We told one month and two months, how long are we going to be away from each other? So I think, as I say, it's not the pandemic that shapes you. It's who you were beforehand that comes out of the true nature you see that, that some people panicked and some people were were scared and i understand that i mean i fully understand the panic and some businesses you know really gave up um i also saw some businesses working harder than ever and we were one of those um i went to work almost 20 hours a day for months on end i mean it wasn't until august that we had sort of turned it around and landed on our feet and got things working again. Then another lockdown was announced, but this time we were like, okay, well, we'll take the punch that it comes. But um, from March till August, I don't remember any time in my career, even in the startup year that I worked harder. This was a time that I said, like, it forms you. It, it shows you what you're capable of. And it's also what's given us the, let's say, renewed energy that we didn't have before. In those four months between March and, and, and until the beginning of August, we were more productive. We lost, launched two companies. We launched three new services. And this is working from home. We were more productive than we'd been in the 12 months previous. 
So that gives an idea about when you have a purpose and when you have a purpose in your company and when you have a purpose of working towards something, you know, it's incredible what you can achieve. So I think the, the biggest lesson for me was number one is be ready to reset. And the second thing here is always know your purpose and understand that that purpose might change, whether that purpose was keeping as many staff as possible, making sure that everybody get paid and making sure that we will go through this and land on the other side. And I remember a very hard Zoom call in the beginning because we didn't know, are we going to do mass redundancies? Are we going to have to you know, fire people? It was dreadful because you don't know. And yes, unfortunately, we had to let some people go. Everybody found jobs because they were in, in good positions. They were well-trained and they found jobs. So everybody found jobs. There was nobody suffering from it. And that was one of my key things is like I'd given up on saying like, well, if I land on zero or minus X, you know, I was ready to start again because I'd already reset. So number one is reset. The second one was this thing about the purpose. Be ready to redefine your purpose of what you're doing. Um, at that stage, we were very much domestic cleaning company um, in a lot of ways. We shifted into becoming the more full-on service company. We were always going to do that, but never we never done it at that speed that we did it. Um, like we... At one stage, we were getting a new removals van every single day uh, because there was so much demand and we were running this. So that was a, a get ready to shift on, 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 on also your purpose and where you're doing um, and what you're doing in your business. So I said, that's one of the things. And then mentally stay strong. You know, like the third thing that I learned was mentally stay strong. It's like whatever news comes out there, it's always, you know, yesterday's news today that gets written about. Um, so stay, stay strong on what you personally want to do and how you want to be, be remembered. And I remember that Zoom call in the beginning and I sat down with, with, we had the whole company on one Zoom call and I said, in a couple of years, you know, whatever happens in this pandemic, you know, I'll walk past you somewhere in a park or I'll walk past you somewhere and I'd say, the only thing that I want to say to each other is that we did everything we could to keep each other safe. And I think that gave everyone the power to say like, okay, well, there's things we can't control, like the government, what are the governments going to shut down? Like now in Australia, we don't have control of that. But what we do have control is how we treat each other and how we talk to each other. And that no matter what decisions we have to make, whether it's redundancies, whether it's reduced pay, whether it's uh, changing what we're doing in our work today, we still want to be able to say hi to each other after three years or whatever. We walk past each other in the park. I use that analogy. And we want to say, well, we did the right thing. You know, that was what we could do. But we didn't just take it. We did what we had to do and we worked on it. We didn't give up. And I think that was a big change. I mean, as I said, the four months following, we were more productive than we had been in, in, in the 12 months previous. So that was incredible to see. So I think it really showed leadership. It really, one of the things that it also showed is we've always tried to invest in the people in our company by being honest and transparent about how we take certain decisions and working with our people. And it's not always an easy task to say like, well, we're going to cut this or we're going to do this or we're going to shift this. We try to always find the third option, but um, it shows that when you invest in the people, and they have faith in you that they're ready to go through things with you. And I would not be here and saying the same thing that we managed to come through on top if it wasn't for the drive we got back from the employees in 
how we were communicating. It was it was really our staff that, and and everyone inside the company that said like, look, we're in this together. It's what it is. You know, let's go through it. Let's do everything we can. And it was a big one because we didn't know whether cleaners were allowed. We didn't know gardeners were allowed. We didn't know what was allowed at one stage. So, and I said, we can only go by what we can go by and we can only do what we can do and make the changes we need to do and get ready for it because everything you knew was the normal is gone. Um, I think that message just really worked and I think all of us got inspired by it and it was sort of coming outside of me, right? It was the whole company that doing it. It wasn't me. It was I was just a messenger and that was very powerful. So definitely... I learned that investment in your people is one of the most important things. That's so inspiring. And yeah, just amazing that you were able to innovate so quickly, but also 20 hours a day sounds like a lot of hard work. Well, it, it, I gained a few kilos. It was uh, something I don't recommend to people. and it, But it was that duty of it. Uh, it was hard on everyone. It was hard on the family. It was hard on everyone. Um, but also, I, we had so much responsibility for people of trying to make this work and get, you know, we didn't know, know we could get C-bills or anything else. So it shows one of the things that I've, I've noticed with successful entrepreneurs is that one of the reasons why you once in a while have to take those breaks beforehand or at, at, at random times and, and, and just recharge and really look after yourself both mentally and physically is that these things can happen. And, 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 and in some ways you need to be able to reset yourself and, and go through those things because it really is like when you think about how many startups fails in a decade, right? It's, it's, it's 90 odd percent of all startups fail in the first decade. And then when you're going through it, you realize, well, this is why I could have just thrown in the towel. You know, everybody could have thrown in the towel and said, we give up. I was like, this is too much. And, you know, it was like, and I'm very sure that a lot of companies gave up on that and tried to switch onto something else. And it's it's in those decisions that makes the difference between whether you're one of the statistics of 93% or you're in that 7%. And remember, the statistics of a, a partnership, you know, we're, we're a co-founding partnership, Anton and myself, which also has a difficult and it's amazing things as well um, but that adds another 50% chance of failure so that we've gone through that just gives a testament into two things one is that focusing on the customer is so important but also being honest and transparent in your internal transactions and also in your in your negotiations and, and talks and, and discussions are very important they're not always pleasant but it's very important so I can't quite believe you've had time to write a book on top of all of this. That was later. <laughs> that comes after August. Yeah, that was over Christmas. <laughs> we couldn't travel, right? It's like, you know, we were locked out. We couldn't travel. So, um, and uh, one thing that came good on this this, 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 um, this pandemic was I used to commute quite a lot between countries as well and spend eight hours uh, in airports and flights and this stuff here. That's gone, right? We're now on Zoom. I don't have an hour commute to get into some meeting in London. I think there's something about this way of working that's good. And I think you can take a lot of good from it. Um, this thing working from home as well. You've got different times. It's not as easy with a child jumping on you, but it's... <laughs> You, you you have to learn to live with what's been given, right? So I think that was a that was a good change. And that's why I decided to write write the book about um about how to scale your business using the franchise principles. It's coming out uh, later this year. That's very exciting and you've been very productive. I couldn't let you go without asking 
about something I read in Business Matters where you compared shark diving to business. And I'm absolutely fascinated by this. Could you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by comparing this extreme sport to business? Well, I'll tell you one thing, Ellen. It's like, I, I kind of believe that fear is, is is an irrational thing, right? The fear is, is is an irrational thing, but it's a rational thing that the way it affects you. Um, the fear of sharks. Now, the statistics on shark attacks is extremely uh, favoursome to watch diving with sharks, um, not with great whites in while they're eating, but uh, with other sharks and bull sharks and so forth. And there's a couple of other facts that, that you can throw in, like sharks actually think the bubbles from a scuba diver is extremely noisy they're sort of curious to what it is but they're also finding it extremely noisy and they don't really like that noise um so there's a number of things here but my my idea about it is that we have these fears or whether they're fears or limitation it's like i can't sit in a boardroom with these guys because they're x y set multi-billionaires or multi-millionaires or they're investing in this stuff here and you're you're sitting there in the room um, in a negotiation and you're talking to these guys and you go like, you look around, it's like none of these guys can actually eat me, right? That's what I'm comparing it to, right? So the first time I went diving with sharks, I was with my um, my good friend and, and now we've, we've co-founded a dive school in Mexico together. Um, and, and, and we went diving and, and, and we went down and then suddenly we saw ourselves surrounded with seven bull sharks. You know, there was just the two of us and they started circling in and, you know, underwater you can't really talk. So, of course, I was scary and uh, I was scared and, and, and you know, like uh, it was it was an experience that was uh, harder than I thought. So... I looked at, I looked at it, and I was like, "Well, okay, well, if I'm gonna die, that's been an experience." But also, I knew from the beginning that there was a good chance of the encounter would happen. Uh, they were known to be seen there, and I knew that I was prepared for it, and I knew the statistics of it. But the idea of our perceived fear, and I think that a lot of times the biggest limitation we have on ourselves is our own limiting beliefs. And that's one of the things that I said, like to really make it in business, you have to let go of your limiting beliefs and you have to understand that you're capable of two, three, even 10 times of what you think immediately that you're capable of, whether that's physically or as, as a business person. And I think that limiting belief for that fear is, is, is a construct that we need to break through because there's been times like, oh, we can't do that or we're not going to be able to grow with a million this year. And then, well, you know, by believing it, we could. Yeah, that's very impressive. And I'm not sure if I'm ready to dive with sharks, but I can kind of see where you're coming from. Well, it's an it's an experience, and I said like, well, I understand a lot of the fear with it, but you know, if if, if I could break down all the statistics with it, and I can tell you, uh, you know, that serial attacks has happened in the last ten years, but again, you know, <laughs> once you get down there, you know, you're looking at something that's bigger than yourself. It's got, you know, it can snap you in half with just, you know one turn of 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 their body and you're not in cages you're not in everything else you don't have a stick you don't have anything else that scares them away um this is in in in, in environments that we know are safe it's environments that, that 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 we know are safe you know there's other encounters but you also hear the story of numerous surfers who come very close to them and can see them next to them and and so forth i mean it's one of those perceptions is like you know sharks are dangerous there's no doubt about that but it's 
it's not the most dangerous thing. I said, like, you know, if you're really looking at stats, you know, more people get killed by cows and dogs and and um, snails, right? So, 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 I'm when you're looking at the stats, I said, like, I, I always try to keep a, a perspective of the world that opens up. It's like, what's the real sort of perspective here, and what are we actually looking at? And I think that that. Quite often, we don't open that up. But I understand the fear. It's completely logical. You're in there. It's bigger than you. It's got teeth the size of your hand, you know, you're, you know, and it's looking at you. And it's like, you know, just one turn, it's got you. Um, so I understand that, you know, and I tell you, you know, I was I was afraid. But they'll sense that. They'll, they understand. They can see through you. They've got x-ray vision and can read your heartbeat and this stuff here. But they're not really interested in you. You don't have enough fat on you, right? You're not a seal. You know, I'm just saying i'm not saying jump into a shark as this was under control experiences and i've done it a couple of times and um, now as a father i'm not as willing to do it um, like i don't do skydiving anymore and a couple of other things i don't drive a motorcycle which is much more dangerous than diving with sharks so drive a scooter through london and um, and it's much more dangerous than uh, diving with a shark that's for sure so so that's how I, i look at it it's it's about probabilities and statistics so we're running out of time on the podcast, unfortunately, but I really like to end them by asking for a piece of very practical advice. So from you, what would be your advice for a budding entrepreneur? Well, I have so many of them, but <laughs> one I'm but I'm I'm thinking about one thing that 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 I would do. Um and it's one thing that I didn't, and it's it's not a bad thing. Try to figure out what you really want, then Ask yourself what you really, really want, because in some cases, like we are um, self-funded, we're, we're driven this stuff here. Now it's going to be a different story, and there's going to be a lot of news about Fantastic in 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 a short time. But um, really knowing what you really want will allow you to do one of two things. One is like to really enjoy the ride, because it is going to be a ride, and it is going to be, you know, as I said, twenty-hour days is 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 normal. As it, it, being an entrepreneur is not freedom. Getting funding is not freedom. Uh, financial freedom comes a decade later if you if you make it through. That's my view on it. Um, so be prepared for that. But but knowing what you really really want. Um, and we're not talking about whether you're investing in Bitcoin and expect to double your money in a, in a month or whatever you're doing. Uh, I don't believe in those kind of kind of things. I believe in, 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 in consistency and longevity, not because I want to work hard, but because I believe that that's what produces the most results um, over time. So knowing what you really, really want and also what you really, really want for yourself is probably the best advice to go into that and, and, and knowing that. That allows you to be able to take the decisions so knowing your meaning or your why before you go, then any how will be matters. It's like, I want to get to X, then, oh, this is a bump, this is a bump. They just become bumps and you eliminate them. So knowing that from the get-go is like, what do I really want? And I'm not talking about, I really want to get rich. No, what do you really, really want? And how do you want that process to look? Thank you so much to Ruben for being on the podcast and make sure to keep an eye out for his new book. If you'd like more about leadership, head to www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition and make sure to listen out for the next Ambition podcast.